What's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode three of the Carbide Podcast with Blaine Stevenson. I appreciate you tuning in. The world of ice oval racing was completely foreign to me prior to this episode, but Blaine's a fantastic ambassador for the sport and helped me wrap my head around all the intricacies within this wild discipline. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. This is episode three. My name is Spencer DeLabriere, and I am your host. On today's episode, I have a three-time USSA Pro Star Champion, four-time Eagle River World Champion, uh, Mr. Blaine Stevenson. Blaine, how you doing? Doing great, Spencer. Appreciate you guys, uh, you having me on. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm doing real good. Just got done with the fourth, so everything's good. Awesome. Glad to hear it. So let's just kind of dive into your story and, you know, where did you start snowmobiling? Where did the passion start for you? I would, I would guess it's a, it's a family sport for you guys, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a big family thing for us. Um, uh, my parents, I always start out, they grew up around Thief River area. So, um, my mom's from south of Thief of a few miles. My dad's from north of Thief a few miles. So they were always around the the snowmobile mecca kind of between thief and rozo and um yeah but they never nobody ever competed really so um yeah we just i got we got our start when i was uh three almost four um we started racing kitty cats with uh, casey pro casey pro west group i believe and and then you know just just kept expanding from there um you know, we moved south kind of towards the, the Twin Cities area in Hutch and we changed groups in when I was six or seven and um, and stayed with that group until I was 11 or 12 years old and moved to the big track after that. But it's always been a family thing, um, even to, 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 to today. You know, my parents come to each race. Uh, my wife was very involved, even though she did not grow up around the racetrack or anything. Um, my sister makes it to a lot of them and and even, you know, with, with us being paired with the walls, it's, it's a big family thing for them also. So it's, it's all about that part of it. Yep. That's the best part of it, right? That, you know, as much as we may be competitive in the sport or anything like that, we're just kind of one big family at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's good. You know, I've got a lot of lifelong friends from racing and, and we enjoy all, a lot of the people that we get to see on a week in week out basis in the winter. It's awesome. So your first time getting on an oval whether it was you know a big track or even a small track when you were young was it pretty daunting and pretty scary or were you just kind of hooked immediately yeah i guess there's an interesting story i've been told i don't remember it but when, when we went to our first race like practice and everything went fine but when we got to the racing part um apparently i just wanted nothing to do with it and uh you, you know as a scared toddler i guess so <laughs> My, you know, my dad, he said that we went down to the river in Thief River and, and, uh, you know, it was all iced over. It wasn't, uh, wasn't snowpack or anything, but just pretty sure what he, the story he tells was it was like a laundry basket and hooked a, a toe strap to it and said, drive kid, <laughs> pull, 
pull pull me around. So we got a little more acquainted with what we were doing just in the week, and then and then after that, it yeah, it took off and been hooked ever since. So at that point in time, when you're ripping down the river, are you dreaming of racing at that point in time, or is it still just just fun having you know a throttle in your hands and things like that? I think it was always it was always racing, and I probably didn't realize it at that point. Um, you know, it's like such a young age, but as, as I've grown up, I'm, you know, I'm pretty severely competitive. <laughs> it's, uh, some days it's good. Some days it's not so good, but, um, just that competitive edge and, and get that competitive, uh, you know, release is, is awesome. And, and I, you know, I take, take everything that I do seriously. So yeah, after after the river, and um, you know, it was always about racing for me, um, and I probably didn't realize it at that young of an age. But um, as I got older, I've always been pretty competitive. I don't know if it's always the best trait, but um, I'm always always super competitive. I always was through uh, you know through being a teenager and everything, and kind of everything that we did, and. Um, so it's a good outlet for, for getting that part of my personality fulfilled and, and, um, yeah, just, just a drive to be good and, and win and, you know, take a lot of pride in who we represent as far as wall brothers and Polaris and stuff. So I, I take a lot of pride in representing all of our partners to the best of our ability. And, and I, I really take it to heart. So it was always about the racing for me. So for a lot of us, when we got started racing at a, at a young age, it all seemed so simple. We just kind of told our parents we wanted to race and then magically we showed up at a track with a sled in the back of the truck and that's just how it goes. But mm -hmm. when you look back at it now as an adult, what kind of barriers of entry do you see for, for getting into oval racing as a whole? Because for somebody like me, who's a total noob and knows very little about the sport, it seems pretty daunting if I wanted to just get into it tomorrow you know right and you're you're right you know i think you look at any sport and it can be that way but um for us you know my parents were my parents were relatively young um and i think we had a lot of help from like grandparents and and stuff to get us to the racetrack so but yeah we, like you say we get to the racetrack and everything was kind of set up and and you don't realize how much work and effort they are putting in and definitely more appreciative of it now that I'm grown up. Um, but even today's stuff, like, yeah, if you wanted to jump into, um, the pro champ class, it would be pretty daunting if, if you had a few years of running more of an amateur, you know, F 500, um, that kind of thing, you know, it, you'd definitely have a little more, oh, kind of an inkling of what you're getting into. Um, cause a lot of the amateur classes, they're still just super, super competitive. It's just, it's a lot like the snow cross side mm -hmm. where the sport guys and pro light guys, they, they're not too far away from, from, uh, the pro guys, um, lap times, but, um, and I think that's, we, we got a good core group of, of champ drivers, especially that travel fairly well, but the Wisconsin guys are super competitive. So it's, uh. Um, it definitely is daunting from the outside, but just, um, you know, getting over that initial cost of buying a sled and 
we run stock motors, so it's not too bad of a price tag to do that, but a, a decent set of pipes and, um, you know, the, the trailers and the trucks are probably one of the biggest costs to get into it nowadays. Um, and we don't run the semis like the snowcross guys do, but we still like to have some pretty good amenities and, and go at it that way. So, but I think for the, the average guy that wanted to get into oval racing, you know, like the, the central Minnesota pond guys in, in Minnesota, they do a really good job of running vintage races and, um, you know, some modern stuff. And, and that part can be an easy way to get your feet wet and, and progress from there. So depending on where you want to start it, it shouldn't be too bad. So kind of sticking to some of the topics of, of junior racing, what's the progression like moving from class to class and moving up the ladder? Cause it seems kind of like, just like in any form of racing, you have your standard age group and age classes. If you want to follow the ladder that way, but as you get older and you graduate from those junior classes, you really kind of got to pick what direction you want to go because there's not a ton of options once you get to that level. Yeah. I think he's a nail on the head. Um, you know, in, yeah, you go from the, your standard junior classes and they're running the sprint chassis. So it's, it's the same as what we race on the champ level. Um, maybe not so much, you know, we don't run a lot of titanium even nowadays, but, um, you know, maybe limiting the exotics and then they run stock fan motors, um, with an open pipe. But even, like I said, those guys are super competitive, but from there, the, the formula 500 class, which is the, the, uh, it's a 89 to 90, 1992 Indy 500s. So you take that chassis, we can do, you can do very little modifications. Um, but you put a hood on it, you put a tank on the left side and you go racing. And that's the class that I, that my parents really drove that we're going to do this class instead of jumping to the pro class when I was 16. Um, and we made, we won a lot of races. We, I gained a lot of experience. Um, we as a team gained a lot of tuning experience. Uh, and I think that's a good route. And I think, you know, at the time when I was 16, I was disappointed. <laughs> you want to go race pro and, and, you know, get that kind of clout and whatever, but, um, you know, definitely them, them sticking to their guns and having, having us race, uh, you know, more of an amateur career until I was 18, uh, definitely helped. And, and I think a lot of the guys that jump early, um, the pro class is, is tough. And so it can, it can be really daunting. And if you're not winning, you know, if you lose your, lose your love for the sport that happens, but, uh, but that's kind of the progression I see. And we, we've even, you know, you look at Matt Gady, he ran a lot of vintage stuff for a long time. And, um, he's a super driver. So you, you get a lot of experience by running the stuff that doesn't handle well. And then when you get to the bigger classes and, and into champ and stuff, you get to, you know, you run something that handles a lot better. It does. It is. It's a big difference, but, uh, and you see kids nowadays with what we do, they do it in all sorts of stuff, whether they are running the vintage stuff and then they'll, kind of cross over to a sprinter, um, get it, maybe get an F 500 and then they're, they're right to a pro light, which is a, a champ sled, but not, not racing the, the big guys of the pro star cup tour really. So, and I think that's a logical, a logical ladder. In, in your sport, do you see a lot more, 
I wouldn't even just say success, but a lot more dynamics in rider skill set and talent for the guys that kind of float around on those multiple chassis and, and multiple sleds throughout their career. I think we, you know, I think we do have a fair amount of, of each. Um, you got some guys that did, you know, they ran the best of the best sprinter stuff since they were young. And, and like I said, some of them did take them longer to adapt to the class, but, um, you know, some of them do figure it out and podiums and wins and stuff like that. Um, and even like, we've got some young guys now that kind of, that grew up more on the, the sprinter side, the open chassis stuff, and they're doing really well. So, you know, it's, it's, I th- I don't know. It's just a balancing act, I guess, you know, <laughs> on, uh, not rushing the progression. Mm-hmm. Are you guys, and I probably should have looked this up ahead of time, so that's my bad, but we've seen it. I mean, it's an age-old argument in Supercross. People complain about it all the time, but we've seen it. Snowcross has now adopted the rule of allowing you to go back down if you mm-hmm. previously bumped up into, into pro. Are you guys at that point? Are you allowed to jump back and forth depending on skill set, or is it a once you go pro, you don't go back? So I think the rules are pretty loose just because ovals might be in a little more of a fragile state. Um you know, we have, we have some people that run fairly well in pro, but they're considered or they consider themselves more pro light guy. Um, but, but like I said, they the rules are relatively loose on jumping back and forth. Now, if, if I said, well, I want to go run pro light, they're going to look at me and say, absolutely not. Um, you know, I think there's a pretty core group of the top eight, eight guys, really 10 guys, maybe that you could say that about, but, uh, but I don't, I don't see any, any hurt for, for more seat time, especially for the younger guys or even, mm-hmm. even guys that are a little bit older, but have gotten a later start to the sport. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I do think, you know, the, they used to have something and I, I, people still talk about it, but if you made the world championship, that was kind of your qualifier and you couldn't go back down, but I know that's, it's still pretty, pretty laxed. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's kind of jump into your overall racing career as a whole. So kind of going through the junior classes and moving your way up the ladder, it seemed like you excelled fairly quickly in the sport. There was a you know, couple years where I'm sure you were, you were grinding and you were learning and taking some losses, but overall the progression seemed pretty quick. Did you kind of feel the skill set on the ice immediately when you got on a sled? Or were you one of those guys that enjoyed it, but knew you were going to have to put in a ton of work to get to that level? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I look back at like my kitty cat, when we raced kitty cats, um, you know, the, the top class at that point was the formula one kitty cats. So we had a mod kitty since I was about seven, I think. And, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't win a lot of races, even, even when champ 120 got to be big, uh, you know, I, we would do okay at making finals and stuff like that, but we weren't, we weren't out there just crushing the competition. I was a little bit bigger, taller kid though. Mm-hmm. And where our, where I found it kind of clicked was as soon as we got onto the stock sleds on the, the junior three eighties and stuff on, we raced them on the small tracks, but really on the bigger tracks was, was where I felt I got really comfortable really fast. Um, 
and I, you know, you, we could just kind of see it on, on the people that we raced on kitty cats that were really good, but they didn't transition well into the bigger stuff. Um, where, where we felt like I did a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. and that translated right away into like a junior three sprint. Um, we, we never had the best equipment growing up. Uh, we, we were always the kind of more on the budget side and, and, you know, very budget conscious, um, chassis and, and pipes and stuff like that. But we just pick up as many technical notes as we could. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, especially once we got into, we struggled that one year, um, it have been 2011, it'd been my last year in the junior stuff, we struggled like mightily with, uh, we went to Eagle River with a 380, um, had a, a tether mishap. So we didn't end up winning our junior one final even. Um, and our plan from the get go was to put a 440 in it and jump up to the next class. Um, not a champ, but junior two. So that was, you know, the, whatever they called it, uh, 13 to 16 year olds, I think. Mm -hmm. And in the first race we went out, we ran well, we won, we won the final in it with it. And then it just went downhill from there and we struggled and struggled and struggled. And I remember getting to Beaujeur, well, I had to, I had to really talk my parents into going to Canada, um, which we'd done in the in years past, but we, we went up there and we, we still struggled mightily. And I remember like getting done with that last final there. It's like, Oh man, I'm glad this is over. And I, I, I really don't feel that way very often <laughs> with racing. So it was, it was a good reality check. And after that is when we went to the 500 class, um, <clears throat> you know, we had walls built, built our sled that time. And it was a rocket ship from the beginning and I adapted to it really well. Um, so we, we had a good rocket ship. We learned a tune with that and that's, you know, my amateur career really progressed. We won, you know, Mike Van Dolder was such a big name on the, on the East coast with F 500 and F 500 was big out there and it was big out in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And, uh, we went to Beaujolais and we, we raced really well. We won the finals and then, we went to Eagle River and you know, I was 15. I really didn't know what to expect and racing some of those guys from the East coast, but we, we did really, really well. And I ended up winning that weekend. That's where, where it really kind of set in that like, man, we're we got a real shot at like getting to pro and having some success. And, and um, I think for me anyway, I think for my parents too, they, they probably didn't want to accept it as, as easy as I did, but uh <laughs> But yeah, that's that F five hundred stint of my career was really the defining moments, I think. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna kind of roll into next because you mentioned you spent quite a few years in that F five hundred class. Even if you may have wanted to move up, the family and the team said, "Let's stick around here, you know, get some more experience, get some more track time, and then we'll be ready." So by the time you do move up to Champ four forty, I mean, you kind of mentioned already, but did you feel the confidence immediately that you can run with these guys or were you still a little, little bit apprehensive about taking that next step? Um, I think going into that year, I was excited. I felt ready. Um, but you know, the, doesn't matter if it's super cross, if it's snow cross, if it's, you know, NASCAR guys jump from 
the second tier to the top tier. And, and like I said before, I think those top tier guys, they just have it figured out. It's just different. Um, whether it's driving ability or tuning ability, all of that stuff kind of wraps into one. And, uh, you know, our first race, we struggled with some carburetor issues on the champ sled. Um, but somehow, some way we made the final and from the back row, we ran, I think one guy pulled off and we beat one other guy. So we got 10th. And I remember that was like a big deal because we got we got 10 points in the, it was the TLR cup at that point in time. And I was like, sweet. Well, then I think it was two weeks later, we went to Eagle river and, um, we had a good run in Friday night thunder, but ended up blowing a belt, but then we did not make the WC final. And I remember that just like destroyed me, but I remember just like telling myself, well, you know, let's move on. And, and, you know, my parents and I, we just talked about, you know, let's, We'll put our head down. We'll keep trying at this. We're not going to give up. You know, it's just one race. And that ended up being the only race that we didn't make. Um, we struggled a few times our rookie year with speed and getting the right setups and stuff like that. But we, we had some really good runs. Um, we, had, we ended up finding some really good setups. And, and um, they that allowed me to put in some pretty good drives where we we were always slow on starts and, but we, we could work our way up to sixth or fifth or, you know, towards the end of the year, we were knocking on, on the door of podiums, which I thought was just uh, insane that the top guys that year were so fast and we were at the end of the year, we were with them. So that well, was, go ahead. I was just going to say for 2017, you ended up having bit of a, a rude awakening and unfortunate kind of start to those couple years in that class. But we're looking at Ironwood where you got in a pretty nasty, nasty wreck that let's be honest, could have ended a lot worse than it did. But as you were kind of on the mend and, and rethinking things, I'm just curious. I know you're, I'm sure your family wanted you to, to hang up the, the boots, but where were you at mentally on, on coming back? Yeah. And I think you know, we, we did have a lot of discussions about it and I know they were definitely up in the air. Um, and I remember like I was in no, you know, my, my part of the crash was, was brain injury and I had some brain bleeding and stuff. So there was a period of time there that I didn't know where I was at, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I do remember being like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not done doing this. So, you know, we're, in 2016, we actually had a really good run again at Eagle River. We led some laps in the Friday night deal. Um, we some we managed a podium through an odd way, and we finished okay in the points. But remember, that was a, a main driver of, you know, I think we can do something. Um, but, you know, at that point in time, I was a, I was a junior in college, um, so our testing was not – you know, up to par by what I thought we should be doing, but I knew that we were restricted with budgets and, and you can't, can't be missing a whole lot of class and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I was, I was right away. Like, nope, we're not, I'm not done doing this. And, and I probably said it in a way that I shouldn't have, but um, you know, and that was, that was a bit humbling, like kind of looking in the mirror and, and, you know, you, you got to take into consideration the, the people that are around you that are doing it. And, um, 
I don't think it, you know, up until that point I had considered it well, but, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we, we talked through it a bit more. Um, and at that point in time, you know, my girlfriend, Alexis, and well, she's my wife now, but we were pretty serious. So we had conversations about it and, you know, we just getting back from the accident. Um, we were, we were on a new sled in the accident. So and it destroyed that. But I remember them being like, well, we can, we can rebuild it. And I said, I don't want it. And we made a few different chassis changes with the help of the walls. Um, so they built us another new sled and we had some used parts that we had carried over and things like that. But um, I remember telling dad, you know, like, these are the changes I want for the sled. Um, but it was just a matter of like, we got to go testing. We got, we have to go testing we got to figure out how to not be in an eighth on lap one and, and how to be, you know, a fourth third. I think we have shots at, at winning races, but then you stay out of the carnage too. So, um, and that was the big focus into 2018. We did spend a lot of time at the test track and, and, um, we made a, made a lot of progress obviously with, with a few wins and stuff that year. Well, amidst those few wins, 2018 capture your first ever championship for for eagle river which you know there's a handful of of races in snowmobiling that just kind of transcend any particular discipline you talk about eagle river you talk about the i500 races that it doesn't matter what discipline you you race in you're like if a guy can win that he's a bad dude and there's mad respect for that but even winning that race you were still so young i mean i think you were what 21 years old when you won that Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That yeah, must've been, first, go ahead. It was, yeah, it was wild. Um, so if, if I never guess, I guess I've never given a real great description of that race. So we spent, that was when they had that, uh, like a 10 lap first segment. And then we all did that pit stop on the front stretch. And then we had a 20 lap dash for the final. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't particularly for that, but I didn't mind how that format was. But remember, we, I, I don't know why, but I, I started on the very inside bank is where I got to choose and where whole shot was not good. And I actually lost a position during the first 10 laps. So I was running like eighth at the break. And then after that, we got going. Um, we made a couple of quick passes, and I think we had one guy – blow up in front of us. So we, we were in fourth and I was, I was hunting down the guys and then I'd make a mistake and we'd lose a little bit of ground. But, um, and I remember running fourth thinking, you know, this is pretty good. And, and, uh, and then the chaos of the last lap happened where Cardell fell off on the front stretch and then they threw the red and, and then on the restart, when we pulled around, uh, you know, Colt, Colt had followed a plug on the back stretch. Um, and I remember hearing, I remember hearing it going down the backstretch that it was gargling. So, um, I knew we'd have about two laps to make it happen. And then of course our whole shot wasn't good, but, um, but then, yeah, Stern spun out in front of Travis and they kind of, and kind of cleared, cleared a path and I raced back to the flag and that was what won it. So it was, it, it a bit of a fluke probably, but um, just happened to be in the right, right position at the right time. And I, that was so wild. Cause like I said, we were, it was our first, it was our first pro win. Um, 
we hadn't led a lick until until the backstretch of the last lap and and um yeah just completely i remember it, like later in the year it just completely flipped my confidence on you know if we had a bad start um and i knew we had a good sled underneath us so we could i knew we could make hay and, and drive through the field so it was uh, definitely something that changed the trajectory of of my career and our career racing here so um yeah that was wild that was that was very it was very cool looking back on it but it was a wild way to for it to happen <laughs> hey i mean you gotta be there right you you had to put yourself in that position that if something happened you were going to be there to capitalize so there's you know you had you had Absolutely. to be there had to be there yep somebody had to win it yeah so i mean like i said at that point in time you're still just just 21 and it's it's a dream in many ways that you've been working toward most of your life at that point in time but once kind of the the dust settles or the snow settles in this case and you just kind of kind of regroup for for racing moving forward how did you kind of i would say mentally reset because i know you said you're you're still a really competitive guy but that's kind of a dream you've worked to achieve for a long time how, how do you how do you process going into the next season of of getting that drive back and wanting to do it all over again right so, and I think it started like right after in the, the whole like championship hangover was real as far as like we went to the next weekend and I'm in Wausau is the next is historically the next race and we've never been good there. Um, so we didn't run very well there, but towards the end of the year, uh, we rattled off a win in Luxembourg and then in Tomahawk. And I remember like, you know, really they were shorter tracks. So like the high horsepower stuff, we ran mod motors back then. So like you didn't need all this high horsepower. And we, we were running a couple of year old, uh, Ruglin motor. It's, it had good snort, but it wasn't what the top guys were running. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I remember it just being an equalizer and it, some bank tracks. So we got to really run some exotic lines and you could really, you know, make your own runs and, and, you know, drop ET really fast. If you, if you knew what you were doing. And so, you know, we had a couple of those nights at the end of the year. And, and I remember, you know, even around the Eagle river thing, like Dave wall started hanging around a little bit and uh, Dustin had been hurt. And I guess I didn't see the writing on the wall, but looking back on it, maybe there was, but, but the next year we, you know, we got done with the, with the 2018 season and Dave, Dave called and kind of explained what was happening at walls with um, Dustin was retiring and Jordan was retiring. So they uh, obviously with their business being racing, um, they were going to continue to race. And they asked if we would be interested in running their sled. And, um, and that's how that partnership, you know, it, it, it probably started a long time before then. Um, with the F500s and even back to the kitty cat days, we were, we were hanging out with Jeff and Jordan, um, at the races that we saw those guys at the walls at. And so, so yeah, that the next year going into, going into it being, you know, practically a factory guy with, with the walls and, you know, we have just beautiful brand new sled and we had a lot more horsepower than, than we had in the past and then Dermont was tuning on our stuff and uh and he's just a master tuner so it, it 
I had no problem like finding the drive to really try to go out and, and, and compete uh, really hard that year. So, and it showed, we went to Beaudesire the first race and, and had a couple of wins. And I thought that was just, just great to start off our, our deal with, uh, with the walls that way. Um, and then, and then getting to Eagle river, um, you know, that, that was the first year back to the 25 straight. We had a couple red flags, but Stridonk was fast. And, um, and, but our sled was really quick. We had good hole shots. Um, I, you know, I was lasting as far as physical fitness. Um, but it was just good enough. We were starting to inch away and then we had a late red and then, um, we were able to hang on to it. And, uh, and then you go, you know, back to back was really cool. Um, so that, and then the drive after that for me was to, to try to get three in a row and, uh, having walls on our side was, was big at that point to, to be competitive every time we hit the track, I felt, you know, we had a chance to win. That's how I, that's how we view it today. So it's uh that was a big, big deal, but yeah, the, I guess, like you said, a competitive, ultra competitive and, and have that drive to do it was, uh, was not a problem that year. <laughs> yeah. It kind of sounds like getting the support from wall and kind of getting to that next level of a of a program as far as the equipment goes it was kind of like a mental reset for you like yep i've i've won eagle river i've accomplished this really this pinnacle in my sport but it's kind of like getting a factory ride now i got to reset now i got to get back on it this is a new sled this is a new program i got to go prove it all over again now right and that's that was that's really close to how i thought and it I, again, I go back to the heritage of Wall Brothers. I'd like to, you know, they've won a lot, um, whether it be Dave himself or uh, Terry won countless races. Um, and then, you know, Dustin won a ton of races. Brandon won a lot of races for them. Jordan won, won races for them. So it was just about continuing that that winning tradition. And they'd struggled a little bit in, in the years prior to when we got there, but they definitely had it back on the right track by the time we got there. And that was, that was owed a lot of that success too. But, but yeah, just to continue the wall winning ways was, was something I was looking forward to trying to accomplish with them. And I mean, the rest is kind of history, right? That's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the preparation that they do is completely different um, than what we'd ever had. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it was uh, the well the year after 2019, the USSA Eagle River. They all kind of consciously made the switch to the Pro Light rules, which that rules package was 25 pounds heavier, so our minimum weight is 400 pounds. Um, they had to be stock motors, so no more porting, polishing, no more stuffing cranks, no more, um, you know cutting reed valves and stuff like that. Um, but we're going to run is like the old, uh, snow cross pro where it was mm -hmm. pipes, a little bit of head work for cooling. Um, and CDI box work was basically mm -hmm. what we get. And the influx of sleds just went right up. And, um, you know, we got, a, we got quite a few really fast guys involved at that point. I felt like, like Strynock was still around. Matt Gady was starting to, you know, kind of emerge as 
the champ driver that he was, I feel like before the, before the crash in 2017. Um, and then my teammate, Tom was, was really starting to catch on to class two. Um, so everywhere we went and then with that, we had an influx of, of really fast guys that had been racing pro light, um, like Justin Peterson and, um, John Hankey was one of those two that really improved after we switched to that, those rules and, and some other things, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that definitely helped the sled count and, um, and the competition level just went through the roof. So 2020 was, was an interesting year. We, we definitely had a really fast sled and, and that was all on that, that wall preparation. It was, is a lot of fun. I just felt, I just felt really good being the guy that was able to drive it, you know? Oh yeah. I'm sure it was a, it was a big honor for you. Like just, just beyond the performance, like there's just so much heritage in that name and to be, to be selected to, to ride that sled is, is it's a badge of honor in itself. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a dream come true. Whatever you do though, don't let the peanut gallery over in Snowcross hear you just say that a stock motor increased the rider count. Cause those dudes will not <laughs> shut up about it. They'll never let you hear the end of that. Uh, well, Hey, I'm all for the twin pipes. Bring them back. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I don't know if you heard the intro to this podcast is, is mod sleds. So I'm a yep. supporter just as much as anybody. I feel you. I'm right there with you. I, uh, yeah, I, I've got some opinions out there of my own that are better off kept, kept to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, Blaine, you're 27, I believe. We're we're the same age. We're not that old, but I feel old every time I get out of bed. It just seems like it's times flying by. But how much longer you think you're gonna you're gonna stick around racing full time or part time? Yeah, when you said 27, I had to I had to like count in my head to make sure that was right. It just <laughs> seems like it's too big of a number. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, we're, we're going into, this will be year 24, I believe racing. Um, so I have one more year left on my players contract, mm -hmm. um, which I've been super, super grateful for their support. They kind of jumped on as soon as we, uh, you know, in the middle of my F 500 career, they started to help us out with a few things with, we were running limited 500 then, and we used the same 440 motors that we do now, uh, kind of in a stock base, but it was a, a slower class. Um, but Tom, Tom Jr. was willing to help us even when we were running a disguised uh, Polaris as an Articat. And so, you know, I got to figure out where they, what they want, where they want to go. Um, got to figure out, you know, on the wall side too, we've been super grateful. It's always been kind of a, um, you know, a gentleman's agreement and a handshake with them. And, and I mean, they've done so much for us and for me. Um, it's, you know, if, if they see it going a different way, um, we are sure hope not, but, uh, but that would be the, that would be the case. But, um, and then on the family side too, um, you know, my wife and I, she traveled to every race last year, which was a really, really good change for us. I thought, um, you know, we got to spend the week in Montreal when we were out between our Eastern races and, and it was just fun to have her with. So, um, I think we're still enjoying it to this point. 
Um, my parents have, we just, we actually just bought a new, uh, hauler for our race trailer. So, nice. um, they seem committed to for a while yet. And, uh, and yeah, we're, you know, we're still performing at a really high level. So, um, I think when the, and I still get a, I still get a huge adrenaline rush. I know it's, it's something that I look at like Gabe Bunky. He's, he did it until he was his mid forties. Um, it still seems like you talk to him and, and he, does he, does he actually not want to race the Sioux? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but, um, but you know, I think there is a time when you'll, you'll know it's right. And, and the time to get out. But for now, I think there's, there's a few more things I'd like to accomplish and, and, um, yeah, I don't, I really don't know. I don't have a solid answer to that question, but we're, we're still enjoying it now. We're still competing at a high level and, and, um, still look forward to the winters. So when you do finally take that next step and move into that next chapter of your life, we see it a lot in motorsports for whatever reason, where seems half the guys stick around, become team managers, rider coaches, team owners, whatever you want. And then the other half just completely disappears off the face of the earth and you never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. You strike me as the kind of guy who's always going to be around in some capacity. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't mind doing something, um, you know, whether it's mentoring or um, maybe maybe getting involved with the kids group a little bit more. Um, you know, I think I think it will be tough for me to sit on, especially like the first few years to sit on sidelines and watch and say, well, you know, where would I be type of a thing, especially if I feel like, like I've still got some in the tank, but, um, but yeah, I think even with wall brothers, their involvement, um, if there was any way that I could help in, you know, the weekends or in, in rider coaching or, some of that, but they've, they've got a lot of good, good riders up there anyway. So, um, I, I'd imagine at some, in some capacity, yeah, I would stay involved with the sport and, and, um, I'd really like that. So one of your bigger side hustles, if you will, is your YouTube channel, your, your race vlogs. (laughs) And I watch them quite a bit and, you know, I know nothing about oval racing, but to me, that's been a big kind of way to open my eyes to it a little bit more so like i know you just enjoy it and it's fun but just thinking bigger picture what do you think your youtube channel and that growth means for both the sport as a whole but also all your sponsors and partners that help support you throughout the season yeah i think you know at first when you do it and you know there's a couple times you post like a facebook uh video and it gets tens of thousands of views and you're like oh wow and then you put something on YouTube and it has like 830 and you're like, Oh boy, <laughs> this isn't how I expected this to go. Um, and even nowadays, I think we're, you know, we run between two and 5,000 views, um, per, per video, which it was definitely a good growth. Um, you know, I, I, I do all of the editing, um, between myself, my buddy Logan, who comes to majority of the races when he can. Um, sometimes I give the camera to Alexis, but I've tried to get the onboard stuff and and just some different perspectives. It gets to be a lot of work. Um, I, I have 
to this day in my in my uh, files, I have one vlog from uh, from Valcourt that's like ninety percent edited, and I just have not had the time or the energy to finish yep. it. So I've got I've got a couple that will probably still drop this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think you know I think we we get a fair amount of following to it. Um, do my best to promote it on all the social medias, but we only post it to YouTube just because. You know, there's potential if you can grow it on YouTube for for a little bit of monetization, and and um, really that's where I think a lot of these, you know, these algorithms and and how YouTube is used. Um, you look at some of the big channels. Uh, my buddy Logan and I talk a lot about like C Boys and how they grow it and what they do to make money, and it's it's pretty insane that they're just doing it making YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. But uh, it seems like all a lot of these like pro motocross guys they've all got vlogs now. Um, even in the in the snow world, um, you know, SeaTac was kind of one of the originals, and but you see the Katoos and and um, you know I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a few more that have the vlogs, but. Yeah, all all we were trying to do was just kind of give a glimpse into into what we do in our world, and and um, you know I like to I like to incorporate the racing part of it too, and um, but just trying to do it right, and, and you know hopefully at the end of the day our our partners like you say hopefully they see value in it, um, hopefully we attract a few more fans to to get some eyeballs, whether it's tuning into a live stream or coming to the racetrack itself. Um, and then, uh, you know, supporting, supporting our part, supporting us too, from that point of view is, is important in today's world. So, um, but it, it's, it was my wife's, it was her brainchild and I've, I've taken it a little bit more than I ever thought I would just, I'm, I don't really have that personality in my, mm-hmm tried to open up a little bit, but, uh, no, it was a great idea on her part and, and something that I do enjoy doing nowadays. So it's, it's, it's good. I have a lot of fun. I do have fun with it. It's kind of like starting a podcast. It seems so simple. <laughs> and then a couple weeks in, you're like, Oh my God, this is way too much work. Yep. I tell my wife too, all the time. I was like, we should start a podcast. And she's like, you can't even finish these last two vlogs. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe one day. Oh man, that's awesome. So like I said at the beginning, I know very little about oval racing. So I'm now about to bombard you with a bunch of really dumb questions and all the oval guys will be rolling their eyes. But this is the stuff I'm curious about and I want to know. So let's get into it. <laughs> so for the other disciplines like snowcross and cross country, more or less guys get a brand new sled every year from the factory there's minor tweaks they have to make but there is a completely new snowmobile coming out of the crate every single year for you guys when you're budgeting out the next season and what you need to put into a sled and everything like that let's say you don't grenade any motors and you don't have any crashes how much of the previous year's sled do you plan to carry over how much of the next year's sled is going to be brand new from the ground up how do you kind of manage that Right. So I'll break it down into, into both classes. I've, I don't talk a lot about the F3, but, um, since we're racing at Eagle river a little bit, you know, I can, I can relate to that a little bit too. But, uh, as far as the champ goes, we have ran the same champ since 2020. It raced once 
as a mod in 2019, or we raced it twice in 2019 as a mod. Um, we converted it over, got rid of all the titanium studs and all that kind of stuff for the new rules in 2020. Um, and like I said, that's been a rocket ship ever since. Uh, from that sled, it has had, it's had two new tunnels. Um, we put a new skid in it this year and I think every year it gets new skis. But as far as the bulkhead and, you know, knock on wood, I have not, I've not crashed that one. Um, bad. I've had, we've had pretty good luck of keeping it on the ice. So, uh, you know, a majority of it, actually the same motor won both of the world championships in 2020 and 2021. And it's won the 2020 Pro Star Cup, the 2022 Pro Star Cup and the 2023 Pro Star Cup. So it's, we've got a good package all together. We've tried different motors. We've tried, you know, different things here and there. But as far as like the chassis is concerned, it's stayed pretty much the same. And the engine has stayed um, relatively intact with the same. You know, I think we've had a new set of pipes, but but um, that's just to make sure that we're not getting holes and cracks. So uh, I do know when we started, we had like a 2008 chassis, and that would have been in 2016. Wow. And we're thinking, wow, this is old. But it it went it went like a bat out of hell. I mean, it was once we figured it out, we got it dialed to my my liking. Um, you know, it, it worked a lot better than I thought it would. And then, like I said, in 2018, we built that new sled, um, and we did we we tried to lower the center of gravity a little bit. We took some of the tunnel the bulkhead angle out of it. Ran a little bit of a lower spindle. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, that's a one-off uh, type of sled. I know walls kind of would do that here and there. Um, but like I said, even in that point, like when we crashed that sled in 2017, like we took the skid out of it, we took the chain case out of it, we ran, you know, we had to get new hoods, new, uh, we ran, I ran the same seat there for a really long time. Like we, it, when you get a, sleds that you can manufacture and you can build your parts for it's kind of an open chassis it's a lot easier to carry stuff over like that especially when we were on such a budget um now this f3 class it's going to be essentially the same um but if you want to build a new one then you do get the crate and then um, like walls we build a kit you get the crate sled and then you you disassemble it you put all of all of our parts on it and everything um, contrary to popular belief, our stuff is no different than the stuff that we sell. And, uh, but we just, we spend a lot of time at the test tracks. So, um, but yeah, that's, you know, if you wanted to race that year after year, you can until this, until it catches up on the year, the model year rule mm -hmm. that, that ISR runs, I think it's a eight or 10 year limit. Okay. So yeah, we do, we do carry a lot of stuff over when you kind of think about it. Yeah, it's I I would I wouldn't have guessed it honestly. I mean, I knew obviously the sled you guys ride doesn't run down a production line, so it's not a new sled that you can purchase every year. But it sounds like just within the community and with your stuff being so specific to classes and so much testing involved, you basically have built your own sled more or less from the ground up, and you don't have to rely on the factory putting out a new sled with all these updates because you're just going to do them yourself every single year. 
Right. Essentially, yeah, you're we're we're racing sprint cars and mm-hmm. but we we're getting the engines from the factory on the champs. You know, and granted they don't make a four forty anymore, but uh but yeah, yeah, like you say, we're we can do what we want as long as it's within the dimension rules and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I guess in between the races and you're, you know, spot checking everything and, and making sure everything's tight and still in, in good shape. Are you guys still tearing sleds fully down to the frame or are there certain areas of the sled that largely don't get touched as far as week to week service? No. Um, and that's kind of our benefit of working with wall brothers is they, um, so wall brothers is Dave wall and Dermont wall. They're the brothers. Um, Dermont has been the mechanic for a long, long period of time. And then when Dave retired from racing, he went to mechanicing. It was mainly for, for Dustin. And now that Dustin's retired, he's mechanicing with Dave for Tom. Um, but as far as like our program, Dermont's, our sled is Dermont's baby. And, you know, the first year that we raced for them, we, you know, we were, we took the sled home. We were trying to do the maintenance, uh, do some testing every now and then, but Dermont would take it home every now and then too, but they would do like, like you say, like a complete tear it all the way down. Um, you know, check, check every bushing, check all the bolts, um, put it all back together. It was in it with our sleds. It's not, there's not a ton of components, so it's not that hard to do, especially when it was their day job, they would do it in, in a day. But then they would also, you know, Jordan, after he retired, he would go out and they would do test hits with our sled. Um, and they still do, you know, fairly periodically. Uh, another benefit that, that I get racing for walls. But yeah, Dermont, Dermont takes care of all of it now. And, and I'm, like I said, the first year we were kind of, we kind of fought that. But um, it's, you know, we kind of talked about it that off season where, um, they built this other sled during, during the 2019 season. And then we raced it at the end of the year. And my dad and I were kind of like, okay, they, you know, let's let them do what they know how to do. We'll take care of the sled. We'll bring the trailer. Um, if we need to take the sled home and do the maintenance, we can do that, but we're going to let Dermont keep the sled. And so, so yeah, he, he does a good comb down of it. Um, in like the F3 this year, I think we tore it down after Bozier. And then uh, after that, it you know it doesn't get a whole lot of love, so we it just basically runs the week to week stuff. We we made some changes trying to find some speed here and there too, but but um, when you get into the bulk of the season, the champ is a little bit more important. So that's what we were working on, and I think it's pretty universal. Even back to when we were running our own stuff, um, we would do pretty thorough teardowns. But even like day-to-day races, when we have two back-to-back, it's um, or two race days back-to-back, we'll do a general checkovers. We might put a little bit of grease in a, in in the bushings and that kind of thing. But um, but for the most part, it's it's clean it up and uh, yeah, change clutches and, and sharpen carbides and away we go. It's come up quite a bit in in some of your comments, just how pivotal testing is for you guys in between races off season things like that in other disciplines snowcross guys have practice tracks cross country guys can ride rough trails if they can find there to set something up in their in their yard for you guys 
what does a weekly testing regimen look like? Do you do you head out and, and find a, a clean lake or do some guys not ride at all? What does it look like? Yeah, I think getting riding in is tough. Um, but there there are a few places. Um, so like with Walls, there's a small town between Thief River and Greenbush where Walls are uh, called Strathcona. And if you've ever driven through there, if you if they anybody that lives around there knows what Strathcona is, it's a it's like a dug pond that's in an oval, and and uh, walls do a lot of testing there. There's also a lagoon on the north side of town. They'll do some testing there. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm not supposed to be giving all all the all the areas, but <laughs> <laughs> but they're pretty open to it, I think. But yeah, that's that's kind of the place, um, the place to go. Now, as far as like getting into shape, you know, and I think everybody can relate, you can only do so much working out before, you know, you get on the sled and, and mm-hmm. you figure out, you know, you just need to ride a little bit to, to improve some endurance. So before like every Eagle river, just because that's a whole different animal with 25 laps, we'll run a, I'll run a 25 lapper. Um, the past couple of years, they've all been in, in um strathcona there whether it's been you know testing the old mod sled uh, we still have that one set up from 2019 um or even like this past year we we just did it with the the new or with the f3 um but but yeah after that we don't don't get a whole lot i've always thought it'd be cool to get a practice sled and and my parents have a private pond that our neighbors own like, like a half mile away from their house in Hutch. And, uh, but just to find the time to do that, you know, I work a real job and, and all that kind of stuff. It just, the timing doesn't seem like it's, it's, I'm able to do that. If, if I were able to, it'd be really fun, but, but it just doesn't, just doesn't hold up for us right now. Mm-hmm. Well, sticking with the theme of, of testing and setup. A lot of the tracks you guys go to are, you get new tracks for sure, but a lot of them are, are repeat venues for you guys year after year. Now, the shape is the same, but every year ice conditions are different, temperatures different, wind is different. It's all, it can all be completely different year to year. When you guys show up and take the sled out of the trailer, how often are you going back and and going off previous year setups versus just saying we got to start from scratch and just kind of take it as it goes right um especially like i said we've been racing the same sled here for quite a while so like wholesale changes one i do i do not like that as far as a suspension and that kind of thing so but with all the testing and racing that we have underneath our belt with that sled in particular it's we usually uh, get there and we unload pretty fast um, and I think, you know, we, we don't change as much stuff as people think. Um, you know, it, it's just about getting the balance, right? So, you know, depending on, and I, I, I enjoy the freedom that I have to make the changes that I want on the sled. Um, that's always something that I, that I've, you know, really enjoyed about working with walls is it's never a, Hey, we're going to do this. It's a, what do you think about how it's handling? And then those, those pivotal days of racing an F 500 and, and learning what I want and how to adjust the sled. Uh, I, you know, I'm able to kind of say, do you guys see this? I'm, I'm pushing on exit. 
as soon as I get on the throttle and it's, yep, that's what we're doing. Okay. Well, we're going to make a camber change and take a little bit of track off the ground, but it's such a balance act of, of doing those things. Um, but like you say, it's, it's ice, ice condition to ice condition. Um, so, you know, from day to day, it can change quite a bit and we, we might have to reverse the, the previous day's adjustments. And it, it, we've, we've done that a fair amount of times just because conditions change and, and that's just how it goes. That's okay. That's, you gotta, you just gotta keep adapting. So from the, the bit I've been able to pull from, from oval racing, you guys are obviously a much smaller community than some of the other disciplines we have, but you guys also seem a lot more, I mean, with the exception of maybe one rider Blaine, but you seem a lot more uh, friendly and more community oriented. I'm sure there's a couple guys that kind of just stick to themselves, but you seem a lot more like, like off-road, like GNCC type guys versus like moto guys that are super cutthroat, if you know what I mean. Right. I think, yeah, I think for the most part, um, I think you're right. I, you know, there's, yeah, like you say, there's rivalries and stuff and there's people that, that you don't like, but, um, I think for the most part, you look at like the top guys, like, you know, um, Dale Ritz and I, we had, we even had a pretty heated discussion at one of the races. He's, he's a retired guy. He, you know, he owns or is helping Matt Gady. Um, and, and, you know, you get into those moments where, where, where it's just, you know, a lot of adrenaline and everything's flowing and that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think most of the guys, you know, I have a lot of respect for everybody that does it. Um, I do, I do like to see, you know, some of these, especially the younger guys, the guys that have really worked at it. I like to see them succeed. Um, seeing John Hankey get second at, at Eagle River Friday night, I, you know, I was super pumped for that. Um, you know, watching these younger guys that we've watched since their kitty cat race and get up, do well, podiums, top, top fives, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and I've always tried to be approachable and talk, you know, be able to talk to whether it's young guys or fans or, or, you know, older guys. And, and I hope that most of the guys think I do that to a, to a pretty good standard, but, um, but yeah, I think, especially with wall brothers, you know, they're, they're so, they're so nice. They're so, they're so helpful. Um, you know, the, there's times where it's like, oh, I wish you guys were a little bit meaner, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're working with customers too. So, uh, but no, I just, you know, trying to keep, a keep a somewhat level head on your, on your shoulders to, to represent those guys well and the rest of our partners too. I think I try to do that, uh, fairly well, try to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, when I reached out to you to do this, this pod, you're like, yeah, no problem, man. sounds great. And there's, <laughs> there's a lot of dudes that frankly, in other sports that are not at your level and not as successful as you, that wouldn't give people the time of day. So I just, I think you're doing a great job and, and I really appreciate that part of it. I appreciate saying that. And like you said too, I think like at the end of the day, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about something that, um, you know, maybe a variety of your listeners haven't 
you know, they see it, but they don't hear about it, um, gives them a little bit of insight, even with um, Josh's paparazzi uh, with his, with his podcast that just dropped today too. I mean, it, it's, you know, I'm doing my best to, to kind of grow the sport and I know I'm a very small part of it, but if my word gets somebody to get some eyes on it or show up at the racetrack, that's, that's a win in my book. So we're, we're all trying to grow it on all aspects. Well, speaking of growth, at least for, for oval racing, what are the biggest obstacles and challenges for you guys currently and, and moving forward into the future? I'd imagine weather is always a challenge. Money (laughs) is always a challenge. Like, what are we thinking? Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll hear that with any type of racing, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, just as, as an oval, um, we do have, as an oval community, we have a lot of cooks in the kitchen and it's, it goes back to a lot of like these legacy legacies of whether it's Beaujolais having 60 plus races and Eagle river having 60 plus races. And, um, you know, Wasa is a premier event that's relatively new and the Grand Prix out in Valcourt is a premium event that's been around for 40 years now. Um, so you have all of these, these people in separate areas that, you know, they, they, they see it going better if you do it their way, which I don't think any way is wrong. Um, but I think the problem that they ran into probably 10 plus years ago was, well, how do you get all the top guys to all the same tracks week in, week out? And that's where the TLR cup started. And Tommy Leeper, you know, dumped a ton of money into the TLR cup. It was like 150 grand a year in payouts, um, to, to go to these races and for year end points and that kind of thing. Um, but we still have it where everybody's separate, but we run under the pro star cup now. So there's, I think that's a challenge that, that needs to continue to, to be worked through. I don't think we're doing it wrong, but we just, we just continue, need to continue to grow. We need to continue to grow on social media. The social media presence has gotten better. Uh, we keep progressing, I think in the right ways, but, but you talk to, um, you talk to like the FXRs of the world and that's, that's what matters is, is good social media presence, um, getting eyes out there, that kind of thing, the Lavalli effect. And, uh, and, you know, I think those, if we can focus on those, have a, have a good live stream, but continue to get eyes on the sport. And that's where we'll get, if you can get, if you can present to sponsors, Hey, this is this is how, where we're working. This is why we're working to this point, um, and and this is how many people we have. Whether it's coming to the races uh, that are watching online, I think that's where you'll you'll maybe generate some of these corporate. And I know it's a corporate sponsorship is so tough, especially corporate monetary mm-hmm. sponsorship. Um, but I, that's what they want to see. So I think if if we as a collective bunch in ovals can continue to work together. I think our product is outstanding. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we have, we have six, eight guys that can go out and are going to be in contention for, for wins and podiums and top fives. 
but just like nailing those storylines and, and that kind of thing will help grow the sport. And then, yeah, getting your promotion right as far as doing it online, live streams, and then the more eyes, the more corporate, the more dollars we can hopefully put into the sport. And we'll just keep, you know, hopefully after that, it's just a vicious cycle of people getting better, you attracting more people to race your product gets better you get more fans you get more sponsorships so and I, I know that's how all these that's a, a pipe dream in a way but it's a it's a mo- it's a model i guess <laughs> it's uh it's funny it's it's the same fight most of like all of us racers and power sports people we all pretty much like the same sport and we all face the exact same problems in all of those sports we're always mm-hmm. complaining about the same thing and we're like why what this is all we need why can't we just be mainstream and it's uh, it's it's a never-ending battle yep i think if you want a good if you want a good uh kind of case study this the grand national series of flat track racing like the motorcycles mm-hmm. they're a really good case study of you know they went from ama grand national i think they're still ama sanctioned but now they sold off and now they're American flat track is what they call themselves. And, and I tune in, I, I have the, I have the live stream. Um, I was a little more invested with like the Indian motorcycle stuff. Cause they're part of Polaris and it's relative, mm-hmm. it's pretty relative to what we do. And, and, um, you know, the, they came to Minnesota and like on the horse track, they're doing like 130 and it's just like mm-hmm. insanity, but they have a really good story and case study of like turning that series around from being something that wasn't very mainstream to at one point in time they were streamed by NBC and now I don't know why that contract was up but I mean they went from having like $300,000 in contingencies or payouts to now it's like well over four or five million Mm -hmm. and I think uh, it's an interesting case study I would it'd be interesting to kind of get with or talk with the CEO and get his take on what, what the snowmobile world is doing and how to get that type of growth or even somewhat similar type of growth to what they've done. And a huge part of that as well. And, and, you know, of course you guys have it at a, at a level within oval racing too, but as soon as you can get the factories on board to either build a machine dedicated to it, or at least provide support for factory efforts, you got a lot going there because they will they will flood that market with money because they want to sell product. They will be invested heavily. Exactly, agree. And uh, Indian is the best case study, right? Like, they still to this day don't make a seven fifty, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what they're racing out there. So, sticking to that kind of theme of factory effort and factory funding. It seems you guys do, and I mean your sport as a whole, you guys get help. Some guys get help from the factory. You mentioned you're still under contract with with Polaris, but a big part of your program is with wall. So, you know, we don't see a row of semi-trailers at, at ice ovals like we do with snowcross and to the lesser extent cross country at times. seems the sport is largely supported by family racing operations that would basically be racing whether they were making any money or whether they were just showing up on a weekend racing against their buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And I think, um, 
so if you wanted to go champ racing right now, let's say you you had a you got your trailer and everything, um, I would tell you that you could buy a champ that's going to compete to get in finals, and then you know based on where the top guys are, you're going to finish between fifth and tenth with a fifteen thousand dollar sled, and that's motor pipes chassis it's going to be a used chassis it's going to be something that's good if you maintain it you're going to run well and i think you know i've got i've gotten that question a few times of like well why aren't there uh, why aren't there there used to be semis at at these races and like walls walls are uh, were guilty of it too i think i believe for a while but like the cost to operate them is just so high at a you know at what benefit and, and, and I understand that we can wrap it and, and, um, you get that marketing part of it, but I don't know if, if, uh, I don't know if that payoff is there. Mm-hmm. Um, cause then, then you, you do have to follow all the rules of DOTing it and making all those stops, all that kind of stuff. So it, it gets to be, I think it gets to be a headache. Um, but I know just into the part of like, you see these used ones for sale and it's, there's just no way we could afford to do something like that. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it's a really cool idea, but it, it wouldn't be for us. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. We see it basically every year on the snow cross side where some team, some privateer effort, some family funded team will buy a semi and they just by default become like a quote-unquote big name team Mm -hmm. even if they have less funding than joe blow down the street and his gooseneck like it it it's cool it's a status symbol but at the end of the day there's dudes racing out of a a gooseneck that will beat dudes in a 53 foot semi and i think that says a lot about the dudes in the goosenecks you know they're where their focus is at and and i'm not I'm not going to dog the guys that have the, the semis, you know, I, I know it does make operating it easier. There's a lot of times where I go, well, damn, it'd be nice to have somewhere to store all this extra stuff. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I feel like it's a big cost to tackle. Mm-hmm. So kind of looking out next five to 10 years, how's the growth of, ice oval racing look what's the next generation coming up and are we in good hands with the with the next guys so i think as far as racers yes we have a really good crop of guys that that uh could be you know potential superstars in the sport and and go a long ways um and then as far as oval racing in general you know i think we have a lot of the right people in place i think there's a lot of people that care about the sport again it's a lot of legacy stuff you know oval seems to be kind of the original snowmobile racing i know cross country is is kind of the same way but when you talk about all these races that have gone on for a really long time it's it's all the oval stuff mm-hmm. so um you know i think i think we need to figure out what our premier class is um you know, I think you look at like the Sioux as a one-off, um, but the Enduro guys all run it. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of how Eagle River is looking. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of with the F3, it's it's a little bit of a one-off now um, where, yeah, we race it. We raced it everywhere I think we went. But, um, but with crowds of 
five guys at, at most of the races. Like it's, it doesn't, and I know we raced these mod champ sleds with six guys in a final, but, but, um, there's, there's 30 to 40 guys with these champ sleds sitting around. Um, and, and we're getting, we're attracting 20 of them to, to 30 of them to come to a, a standard USSA race. I think, you know, I think that's, that's something in the future they got, you know, they've got to tackle whether it's the manufacturers and, and the promoters of, of the events and the, the sanctioning bodies. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> it's, a uh, you know, we meet in the middle of, and I know like we, we've ran 600s in champ chassis and they're really, really fast. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think that option could be explored where we meet in the middle of, of, you know, Polaris and, and Skidoo. And if Cat wants to, they can supply motor parts just like they, they used to 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 these guys but we can still run our chassis that are built to race on the ovals um and i know the the f3 like they have come a long way and and they're they're you know probably a lot better than they were but um but i'd still like to see a champ chassis with you know 600 and twin pipes and i know walls are walls are going to kill me for saying that but um that, I mean, that's what makes sense to me. It'd be, it'd be mm -hmm. a good compromise for everybody to get what they want. We just have to figure yeah. out how to slow them down. <laughs> I know you, uh, I know you follow a lot, a lot of other forms of racing, but this kind of sounds, at least in my mind, it's very similar to the argument against guys who or teams that only race the Indy 500. They just show up for that one race a year and then they get bumped in qualifying where you know you could spend less money and show up to every other race throughout the year and probably win the, not win that race but like make it into the race promote your sponsors all this kind of stuff you kind of got one foot in and one foot out but it could be so much bigger if you just dove in yeah yeah i agree i think that's that's a really fair comparison to it so I'll kind of wrap it up here for you, Blaine. I, I kept you a little longer than I than I thought, but I appreciate the extra time. Really appreciate your you offering to do this. It means a lot to me, and I'm hoping to kind of open some eyes to to some of my listeners on on the world of oval racing. Yeah, I appreciate it. I get long winded sometimes, so if 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 anybody made us go long, it was definitely me. But no, it's great. I appreciate it. Um, hopefully, hopefully we get uh, some more people to tune in, catch us on all the social medias. Um, before we go, just, yeah, big thanks to all of our sponsors that allow us to do this. Um, you know, my wife, my mom, and my dad, wall brothers, everybody up in Greenbush at the shop. Um, my teammate, Tom, uh, Polaris, FXR, uh, 60 helmets, um, two extremes designs. Woody's traction helps us out a lot. So, um, Omni training facility, power mad, just everybody that helps us appreciate all of them. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, maybe you should get out to an oval race this winter, Spencer. I would love to. I My entire point with this is that snowmobile racing as a community, it is so small that we really limit ourselves if we don't 
explore all the different disciplines because it's all really sick and we have a lot of cool stuff to offer. So I 100% want to make it out to an oval race this winter. Sounds great. All right. Thanks again, Blaine. Thank you, Spencer. Bye-bye. Blaine Stevenson on the Carbide Podcast. If this interview doesn't leave you anxious for the snow to fly so you can watch these guys in action, I think you need to go back and listen again. Thanks again to Blaine for taking the time and for the honest discussion. If you aren't already, I encourage you to go follow him on socials and subscribe to Stevenson 102 on YouTube for a unique perspective on his race weekend activities. Thanks to anyone who's made it this far. You guys rock. Hopefully you're enjoying the content I'm putting out and keep coming back for more. Take care, everybody.